Hello there, you're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host. Today, we are speaking with Kurt Damage, Chief AI Officer and co-founder of Sight Machine with offices in San Francisco and Ann Arbor. Sight Machine's manufacturing data platform creates a common data foundation that utilizes data gleaned from artificial intelligence or AI and machine learning to deliver a system-wide view of end-to-end manufacturing processes accessible to executives and operators alike. In July, Sight Machine introduced Factory Copilot, which added a chat GPT-based natural language interface to its manufacturing data platform to give non-experts access to manufacturing problem-solving analysis and reporting. At Sight Machine, Kurt has managed teams of data engineers and scientists, worked with sales and engineering teams, and served as the customer-facing technical lead. Prior to Sight Machine, he served as director of the Perl Foundation that promoted the use and development of the Perl programming language. He was also an assistant professor at Michigan State University. His doctoral degree was in business administration from the University of Michigan, and he earned his bachelor's in computer science from Hope College. Kurt, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. As chief AI officer at Sight Machine, how do you see the intersection of Industry 4.0 and AI transforming the manufacturing landscape, and what opportunities does it present for companies? Yeah, um, so actually to start answering this question, I'm going to tell you what I think it's not, uh, because these days there is a huge amount of hype right now, especially around things like large language models, ChatGPT, Llama, Bard, et cetera, where the AI hype is actually getting so big that people are sort of expecting that you can just take a data set, throw it at AI, magic will occur, and, you know, so the, the expectations are actually getting a little bit out of control, in my opinion. And this could actually end up blowing up in our faces. Uh, basically, b- the expectations get out of control. People are disappointed. Then they develop cynicism and we enter what's sometimes called sort of an AI winter. And so uh, I actually want to be a little um, cautious about the, that sort of expectation. Nonetheless, setting that aside, I do believe that there is a lot of opportunity here, especially when we think about how you move manufacturing data analysis from its current sort of small areas where only a few people can take advantage of this. You had to be maybe a data savvy engineer or an analyst, BI uh, types of roles to something that can be accessible by everybody. And this is where the sort of AI opportunities come into play, where you can start to use these smarter algorithms to bridge the gap between traditional digital literacy, where you had to be a good statistician, to instead using things like language models where people can express their questions in human speak instead of data speak. Uh, and get answers back that are presented once again in a human-friendly format where deep underneath the hood it's processing things and sort of bringing together data sets that were, you know, separate in the past, uh, figuring out which correct algorithms to apply, et cetera. But all of that design so that you can actually put this in the hands of operators, that you can put it in the hands of senior managers who might not be a data expert. And so I think that's the real future opportunity here. Well, and that answer definitely plays into my next question about, you know, as the manufacturing industry transitions into AI-driven processes, 
uh, there are varying levels of digital readiness among different companies. I mean, you look, you've seen that with robotics and automation. You've seen that with with sense, you know, with the uh, you know, sensing devices. So, I mean, how does Sight Machine help manufacturers at different stages of their digital transformation journey? Yeah. So there are really, in my mind, two major obstacles that we see across the entirety of manufacturing. One is do you have good data in place? And it is kind of funny that when we talk about AI, what people often go to first is the algorithms. Uh, but you know that's really kind of, you're looking at step two when you're going straight to the algorithms. I, I kind of like to think of it like if you ask somebody, what is the number one ingredient in coffee? Most of the time they're gonna come back and say coffee beans. <laughs> they're wrong. It's water is the number one ingredient in coffee. And there's that same misconception. You ask somebody, you know, what's the number one ingredient in your AI systems? They go to the algorithms, but really the number one ingredient in your AI is good data. And so you have to make sure that you have that good data in place. And that's really what Sight Machine's specialty is. You know, of course, we talk AI a lot these days, AI and manufacturing, that's what everybody's looking to buy, but good AI has its foundation in you know, good data. And so that's what our, where our history has come from. So uh, I could talk for hours on that one, uh, but uh, uh, the, the, the second um, major topic that we then have is trying to build that or bridge that gap in human skills, especially as we are trying to push uh, this um, data and sort of a data-oriented or operation toward the manufacturing plant floor users who haven't been able to use that. And so that starts to come down to, can you create easy-to-use dashboards, easy-to-use interfaces, and use AI not just as this flashy magic thing, but as a way to make it easier for people to consume their data. And so that's a big part of what we're trying to do to make the, the experience bridge the gap, bring the data and analytics to the end user rather than force the end user to have to come to the uh, data and analytics. Uh, did, are you able to share some specific examples or case studies of, of how um, you know, the, the AI that, that, that you're emphasizing and, and that you've been instituting uh, in terms of, of analytics, you know, has been instrumental in optimizing the production quality or even efficiency of, the, of your clients? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll pick on a couple examples here. Um, first example that I would do is with a company that makes magnet wire for uh, electric engines. And so, of course, growing uh, um, industry right now. And what we helped them with is actually doing quality analysis. And when you have quality problems trying to uh, uh, go through a different process, you often you know, would gather your engineers together and they would start to, I'm not gonna say squabble over what would be the next uh, item that they have to address, but you know, there are often differing opinions. And what we did is created a tool where they actually can gather the data together and it's making suggestions to them so that instead of just sort of my opinion is the problem is over here with the tension on the wire line going through the oven or my opinion is with the viscosity of the enamel or, or whatever else it is, starting to let them make these data-driven decisions uh, as recommendations uh, uh, that they can work with. And so that was sort of step one of that process where we switch it from lots of opinionated intelligent but opinionated engineers to let's ground truth this with the data and have the data point them in the right direction. But at the same time, a lot of that emphasis that we did was not just saying, you know, here's the one single answer you must follow what our algorithm says 
uh, you know, otherwise you are not a good whatever consumer of data. Uh, we, we often provide these sort of suggestions to them. And then what they would do is we then create mechanisms to do sort of like designed experiments where they can go out, take that suggestion, try it out for a couple of days, try it out for a couple of weeks. And then assuming that everything progresses well, they actually put it into their, their full standard operating procedures. So trying to bring them the data, make those suggestions, and then help them roll that out into plant floor uh, operations through trial uh, and error. And so um, that, that's sort of one case that we did. Uh, a second one that we did was actually helping them cut through the noise of the data. And so this was for a, uh, a large food manufacturer. Um, they've had a lot of uptime uh, sort of availability issues on their production line. And it was very difficult to go through and understand whether changes that they were making were actually having a true positive benefit because I'll, I'll be honest, things were just so unstable on this production line that, you know, you make one small change, it's just kind of lost in the whole noise. But what we could do is start to use more of a statistical analytics approach to this and say, yes, within all this noise, we can actually, with this large volume of data that we have, cut through some of the noise and see if there is a genuine shift in the pattern because of these interventions that you're taking. And so instead of having just sort of guesses and hoping that it's working, we could actually say, oh, this change, yes, you did improve something on the robot here. And this change over here, yes, you did re uh, reduce defects so that as they are going through this process of sort of clawing their way back to uh, uh, you know, good uptime, uh, they, they, they know that they have guidance and direction that they can use. And once you get through that proof of concept, you can automate that process, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's never 100% automated where you just push button, magic occurs. But, you know, once again, we're able to sort of hand them the sort of tools that can uh, sort of go through, make it very easy for them to uh, accomplish the, the final goal. Yep. Thanks for clarifying. Um, and in, as you know, there are a number of hurdles uh, when implementing AI solutions in manufacturing environments. Um, could you talk about how your team has addressed those challenges to achieve successful outcomes? Yep. So I already started talking a little bit about data and of course, garbage in, garbage out. Um, that's you know the, the core of uh, what Site Machine does. Uh, so won't get to be too much of a, a broken record here and just sort of uh, repeat that one. Um, but on the human side, what we often get when we work on projects like this is trying to help understand what is the outcome that you can actually achieve from these projects. And we, we've run into some rather, I'll, I'll even say almost comical situations where, for example, we had a project where we had, you know, the grizzled veteran who sort of knows the production line, you know, they can walk the line and they sense a disturbance in the force and can automatically go and fix it sort of a uh, person. Uh, wonderful person. But the way that he was sort of evaluating the work that we were doing uh, coming in was basically said, well, if the recommendations our system made agreed with what he would have done, it must be right. But that's what he would have done anyway. So the system's worthless. And if the recommendation doesn't agree with what he would have done, it was, must be wrong. And so it's also worthless. And so it was one of these sort of, uh, we, we, we can't win types of metrics. And so sometimes we have to make sure right from the start that we have, here's how we need to evaluate this sort of uh, um, uh, project. 
Uh, some of it is also just, you know, understanding what can you actually get up uh, through this. You know, some projects you can get, you know, 99.9% accuracy, and that is a reasonable goal to shoot for. There are other projects where actually you can still improve a process if you're 70% accurate or something like that. And setting those expectations on what the accuracy of the algorithm is going to be. And what we found that's almost, um, it's almost funny how... If you say we think we can probably get something that's going to be 70% accurate, we end up with users who are more willing to trust the results of the algorithm by being open and upfront about what the accuracy and potential outcome is, rather than just kind of running in and making grandiose claims that you could never actually achieve anyway. And so uh, a lot of that, that trust that we have to build with the um, uh, end users really comes down to from the first step, make sure that there are uh, you know, reasonable uh, expectations coming out of the project. So um, you know, we see a lot of that sort of human side uh, coming out there for the most part. Um, and, and then you know, sort of the, the final, I think, challenge is then how do you actually take those sort of general expectations and tie them to uh, business higher uh, level outcomes? Because oftentimes what we are doing is very tactical. Can we you know, improve the quality of uh, the output right over here or you know, improve performance over here, stuff like that. And although you know, on the one hand that might sound like it's easy, oh, hey, you made the machine output 10% more uh, widgets or something like that. Isn't that easily to financially quantify? Well, no, it starts to get tricky because it kind of depends on what does that actually mean? You know, if you're producing 10% more units, is that just 10% more widgets sitting in the warehouse or is that actually something they could sell? And so understanding that bigger picture business context so that when we're helping our sort of project teams then sell to the rest of the organization to, to sort of celebrate the successes that we have. Can we make sure that the, the bean counters who have to uh, fund the project and stuff like that can uh, appreciate uh, the outcome of what we just did? A lot of doubt exists in this environment. <laughs> and as AI continues to evolve, I mean, I, I know that there uh, are major concerns with data privacy and security. You know, I've talked, I've spoken to a number of manufacturers who are still very concerned about uh, putting their data in the cloud, for example. I mean, how does Site Machine address those concerns to ensure that that sensitive manufacturing data remains protected? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, that is the number one question that uh, we get these days is, you know, is my data secure? Nobody wants, you know, us to push that data in and then, you know, a week later, see if they uh, hopped on chat GPT or something like that and just use their uh, private data to answer uh, a question. Um, so that has been a pretty big item for us here. Now, some of this is, uh, I'm gonna say it is 100% right and appropriate to, be concerned about this, but there is a tremendous amount of confusion in the marketplace about where the threats actually lie. And so, uh, you know, if you look on, uh, I'm going to pick on ChatGPT just because we have a major partnership with Microsoft, OpenAI, and all that sort of stuff. So we we do a lot of ChatGPT work here, um, but. Uh, ChatGPT, uh, both Microsoft or if you directly access it through OpenAI. They, they do have policies in place that anything that you use in your prompts for the models there 
will not be used to retrain future bits of the model. Now, technically, they have this little weasel language in there, which says that for monitoring purposes, to make sure that they're not you're not abusing the algorithms, things like that, uh, that they will hold that data for 30 days, I believe, is the, the typical policy. Um, of course, read your terms of service, blah, blah, don't don't uh, uh, trust me on that. But that that's uh, the way that they handle it. And so you, you, you have things like that where you, you do get that protection from these systems and in spite of some of the uh, hype and concern out there, there, there are procedures in place that are going to protect at that level. Um, but you know some of this is just educating the market of where those issues are. Um, there are other things though that yes, we do need to make sure that we are trying to you know, protect your data. And this is more about protecting the, the raw data before it goes into models like these large language models and uh, things like that. And so of course that site machine, it's a big part of every one of our projects. Um, in fact, it usually takes weeks, sometimes months when we kick off a project to go through the IT security process. Um, it can be very painful. I'll admit, you know, we sign a new deal with a customer. Everybody's excited to go. Let's get our data. Let's start analyzing it and getting business results. And then we smash into that wall of the IT security um, audits. And it just takes a whole lot of time uh, to go through and provide those reassurances. Um, it's kind of interesting for a group like uh, Site Machine, where, you know, we, we, we go through that with one company and then another and another. And uh, sort of what we have then is this intersection, this combination of everybody's security requirements all in one place. And so uh, we, we, we're getting, I think, pretty good at going through the security policies. But I think, you know, less marketing wise for, for, for us, really the, the important part is to understand that those folks in the security team, in the IT group, as honestly annoying as they can be, um, that, that's part of it. You know, you, you, you're just going to have to sort of accept, especially as people are becoming more uh, aware of the, the challenges of security um, that, that you have to go through it. So um, more of it's, yeah, I think this is just learn to love your IT security person, go through it. They're usually coming from a good place. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you just got to slug your way through that. And there is that dichotomy between you know, the IT and OT, the operations yeah. technology group, and there are different needs, different timelines, different requirements. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if we get the, the folks who just, I want to get to you know, improving my performance, improving my quality, don't waste my time with the governance issues. But uh, yeah, we got to protect your data too to make sure that your performance improvements don't become your competitors' performance improvements tomorrow. So yes. And, and I would expect that this would become uh, especially front-loaded in terms of developing predictive maintenance practices and policies. Yep, yep, exactly. Especially with uh, things like pre uh, predictive maintenance, prescriptive uh, uh, analytics, things like that. These are all applications that require a tremendous amount of data to do right, a tremendous amount of data from many different data systems. And so going through, and if you're saying, hey, I want to access your ERP system, you know, those are the crown jewels, you know, the most important data of the organization probably lives there. Yeah, you're, you're gonna have to go through a lot more work to uh, get the IT security to be allowed to uh, access that data. <laughs> Well, we've talked a lot about uh, the transition. So let's talk a little bit about the future and uh, how do you envision the future of however you call it, Industry 4.0, smart factories, connected enterprises, and the role AI will play in shaping that future? 
Yeah. Yeah. So these days we are seeing more and more data come online. What I think is most interesting is historically, it seems that manufacturing data, especially when we talk about manufacturing plant floor data, has been very isolated. There's been no shortage of data getting generated, but you know, you would take the data, pull it off of your PLCs, other sensors, put it into your historian, and historians were kind of where data went to die. Nobody really ever touched it. Nobody really ever started to then link that up with your other enterprise IT systems, with your finance data, your ERP, sort of sales uh, types of data, things like that. And so we weren't really seeing the full benefit of what you can do with all this manufacturing data. Um, and so, for example, uh, one thing that we've been working on a lot lately is if you can take your demand information, sort of the, the forecasts, uh, the, the requirements coming from your supply chain group, Oftentimes that would just get, you know, sort of printed off onto a sheet of paper, handed off to manufacturing and said, okay, go produce this much today. And it was sort of up to the, you know, folks on the plant floor to do their best to sort of guess. You hope you have got that grizzled veteran who has the intuition to, to produce exactly what you need. But, you know, uh, bad stuff sometimes happens. Systems go down. Operators might be less trained on this shift, things like that. And so the production can't actually meet those demands. And so if we can actually apply AI, not just to the demand information in your ERP system, not just or your planning information, in your ERP system, not just your plant floor data, but stitch those data sets together, suddenly you can start to make sure that manufacturing operations is influencing your planning. And suddenly you can make sure your planning information is optimally executed to uh, your, your manufacturing operations are optimally executing to support that. And so we're starting to see everything come together, not just into a big database where nobody touches it, but you can start to use these new algorithms to bridge the gap between those two. And I think that's really the exciting future here where we're getting out of these data silos um, and, you know, breaking through that by applying more advanced algorithms uh, to the data. Are any firms there yet? Yet. Um, I would say there are a lot of companies which uh, we're working with that are pushing in that general direction and we're getting some early traction. I don't think we have yet achieved the um, that true nirvana state of uh, the data from all these different uh, uh, systems flowing together and being uh, combined. All right. I thought I'd check. Um, <laughs> how does Site Machine plan to adapt and innovate uh, yourselves as AI and, and machine learning continue to develop? Yeah. And this is, you know, always an interesting challenge, um, you know, having been doing this now for, you know, uh, <laughs> About 10 years with just manufacturing data, I'd say I've been doing AI types of work for about 25 years, and the sort of algorithms that uh, we're using today don't look a thing like uh, what we were doing 25 years ago. Um, so there's a lot just to keep up on sort of education-wise. You can't say, oh, well, I did my computer science degree back in the day. I've got my toolkit, and that's all. So there is this continuous learning sort of uh, a thing where you just have to get out and you have to tinker with it. Now, that's easy enough to say, but you also have to know what to tinker with. And so that gets to be sort of an interesting challenge of sort of knowing which direction the market is going and hopefully being, you know, one step ahead so that the, the market is following you and not the, the other way around. 
Um, I, I like to think that, you know, sort of working in a small organization like this, that we are more likely to be the company that's doing the disruption than being disrupted. Um, but, you know, that, that's always a threat that, you know, we're chasing in the wrong direction. And that's where things like some of our partnerships uh, really come to play, where, you know, we work a lot with companies like Microsoft and NVIDIA. And, you know, it's not just about, hey, can we do joint sales, go to market uh, sort of stuff with these bigger players that give us some scale that as a smaller company we don't have. But it also means that we are hearing from them what they're hearing from all of their other partners. And so there's a tremendous amount of information sharing going on there. And so that we can kind of make sure that we're keeping up with Microsoft's other partners, with NVIDIA's other uh, partners, too, and uh, kind of working in this whole ecosystem ecosystem uh, to uh, stay ahead of uh, uh, the overall uh, trends in the market. Well, what an amazing ecosystem to be in. Kurt, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I really appreciated it. Yep. Yeah. Thank you for having me.